Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today with me, I've got um, I've got James Weber, writer director. Hello, James. Hello there. You're right. I'm very well. I'm very well. Now, now we're we're here thanks to the wonders of social media. You're one of, you're one of the few people that uh, that got that, that that managed to find me, or I found you through a shout out on Twitter, and uh, and you you've come on to talk about. Uh, a, what you describe as a short visual drama called Soror, and uh, and if we can, we'll touch upon uh, your transition to your first feature, which is called White Light. White White Light. White Light. Mm-hmm. Um, but but first, give us give us um give us a brief description of of what Soror is, and and I'm and as we talked about off 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 microphone, what what this expression short visual drama. I mean, I'm used to the, the you know I'm used to the. the the, the the word short film, but I like I like that I like your definition here. What 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 does that mean? Um, well, I guess it's it's your typical British drama, and it tells a story that people can relate to and people might identify with. But it just does it in in a kind of a different way, like a, a visual way. There, it's a really difficult film to sort of describe because I think on paper it sounds like your typical, dare I say, kitchen sink, British, um, BFI-backed drama, Um, when actually the way we present it is incredibly different. Um, Yeah, it's the story itself is about two half-sisters who are kind of reaching a point in their life where they're going to go in separate directions, and it deals with kind of their last week of uh, living together before they they separate and go off and, you know, try and achieve what they they need to achieve in their lives. Um, What makes the film a little bit different is not only is it completely, um, well, I would say partially improvised, because it did have a script, it just didn't have any dialogue. Um, But the way that we we shot it was quite... um, was quite free and um, probably less. I usually storyboard and plan everything down to a T, but on mm. this one we sort of almost let the actors, um, uh, you know, take the scene and then I would shoot it to accommodate what they were doing in the scene rather than the other way around, which can be quite restrictive. Um, also, we do these... Uh, we, we went into a studio for a day and shot... Um, 
scenes that I would describe, they're kind of like inside their head. So you have like a dramatic scene in the film, say an argument. Mm. I thought it would be really interesting to, it's almost like you pause the film, put a camera inside the character's heads. How would that anger, how would that um, frustration um, represent itself visually? Um, which I realise it makes it sound like a, quite an experimental film. Mm. Um, and I don't really like experimental films. Um, and so so, it was so, what, so you say, what you're saying is, is it's, it's, got, it's visually interesting, i.e. it doesn't just look like a soap opera where it's a lot of talking yeah. heads. But, so that might make it feel experimental, but there is a key narrative that's keeping you going along a kind of a relatively straight line. But the, the, what you see is more interesting than just your average drama. Is that kind of what you're... Yeah, precisely. Um, okay, okay. Now, now, we'll go into more detail with it. Don't worry. Um, uh, now, that 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 Soror, along with your previous short Driftwood, which we can talk about in a bit, is um, is feeding into your transition to a first feature, White White Light. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis of what that is then, and how and how those films are, are feeding into it? Yeah, sure. Well, White Light was an idea I came up with, God, it must have been about 10 years ago now, um, okay. kind of an ensemble British drama set around um, a housing estate, which over the course of a day is um, basically is a, a terrible incident and it ends with a kind of a full-blown riot in the community, okay. um, which obviously um, it was a little bit close to what happened in Topham uh, not yeah, that yeah, long ago, which was a bit spooky. Um, and it was quite an ambitious film. And I think at the time that I started working on it, I, I wasn't ready to, to kind of tell the story. Um, so... I thought, what you know? How else can I sort of explore the characters and the ideas? And I realised I can sort of take the subplots and characters of the film and sort of bring them over into into shorts. Mm. Um, so I've actually done that with my last three short films. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, it's a really great way, actually, of of sort of developing the story because it's still a you know I would say the script's still a work in progress, mm. and making the short films has sort of helped that. I would say. Well, I mean, I've, 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 I haven't set out to do that. I've had a recent, just finished a recent short, and it was meant to be a short. Yeah. And when we looked at it, we were, we were, well, the, the conversations went along the lines of, well, this, this feels like the end of a feature film, and we could probably develop this and use this as a kind of calling card for the tone and feel of a feature film, um, which was a happy accident more than an intention, because when we, you know, yeah. we wrote something is a all encompassing, but. I, I I see this more and more. I mean, I read I read a book about Saw, um, and the guys that got the money for Saw was um, they made a ten minute short. Looking, yeah, I've looking seen at, it. Yeah, looking at a key scene, and that was what helped people understand. And and obviously, you you being able to uh, take a short film, which is its own thing, as a as a calling card for you, but not only that, but a calling card for a bigger project is is uh, is easier for those trying to get involved to understand what you're doing, isn't it? Rather than just simply something written down on paper. Precisely. I mean, it's it's great because I'm I'm working on white lights at the moment, and mm. it's kind of like uh, 
having 40 minutes of test footage for the film um, <laughs> that are their own self-contained stories and they're not exactly the same as the feature. You know, of course, yeah, they've yeah, got yeah. to be their own stories and you need to make changes to, to accommodate um, the narrative within, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever the length of the film is. But um, the style is is very much the approach that I, I want to take. And, um, yeah, I, I think it demonstrates what, what, what we're hoping to achieve. Right. Well, before we go into more detail then about, about your, your process on these films, let's let's just rewind the clock a second. And okay. thinking about you as a writer-director and growing up um, or as a, in your formative years, what, what film or person in your life represents a tipping point for you where you sort of went, yeah, I want to be a filmmaker? Well, I think it was... Uh, a few films, really. I, I, okay. I grew up in um, in Dorset, in a, in a community which was quite sort of in a village, not many other kids around, you know, so I watched a lot of films to compensate yeah. for uh, human interaction. <laughs> um, and, of course, being a child of the 80s, it meant that, you know, my teachers were, uh, you know, obviously Spielberg and Lucas and the, the people that um, I think everyone else who grew up yeah. in that period would say, you know, films like The Goonies and Ghostbusters um, just fired my imagination. And uh, I mean, you look at my films now, they're nothing like those uh, those movies, but, you know, that's, that's fine. Um, but yeah, that really sort of caught my interest in film. And uh, I think as I got older, um, I sort of discovered um, like foreign cinema, uh, mm. the, the Hong Kong foreign cinema, I should say. Um, not not quite as arty as um, you know, like John Woo, and uh, and just just kind of through that, it broadened my um, my cinematic taste, um, bringing me onto kind of French cinema, and and then I think somewhere along the line. Um, I was studying uh, like graphic design or something, and I, okay. I was terrible at it. Um, <laughs> knew I was terrible at it. Um, I was just doing it because um, you needed to study something. I sort of realized maybe I could do something I actually enjoyed for a living, which was a novel idea, and uh, took a year out and ended up going to, to Bournemouth to the film school there. Okay. Um, which, you know, had a good good reputation. At what, the did, what, did you, what did you specifically study at Bournemouth? Um, it was a course called audiovisual production, which okay. is, I would say, as general as it gets. Right. Um, so you had everyone on there from mostly everyone wants to be a director, of course. Yeah. Um, but there were soundies on there, you know, there were uh, producers. And um, to be honest, I didn't get too much from the course. But what it did give me was um, access to gear that, you know, I could never afford, you know, taught myself how to use avid um access to good cameras so we'd just go off and make um you know s silly films my, my best friend and business partner uh jamie hooper who i still work with now he was on the course as well and uh we would just sort of borrow i say borrow um their kit and just go off and sort of make the kind of films that that we wanted to make not necessarily the films that they were sort of telling us to make most of which all ended with someone committing suicide in a bathtub um, which wasn't really the kind of films that we wanted to to make at the time um and um yeah just from there I just um moved to London and uh you know made short films in my spare time around the day job and after a while I got into music videos and was able to sort of give up the the office job and devote myself full-time to to shooting and editing 
Um, but really the last two years, I think, have been, um, for me, everything's sort of gone to the next level. And uh, sure. I've really um, tried to, to, to expand in every project, you know, push myself a little bit further. So, so fast forward then to to your to to white light, yeah. And, and you you said yourself that the 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 idea started brewing, say ten years ago. Um, yeah. where, where where was what 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 was what was that idea born on? As it were, what inspired the story in your mind at that point? What were you? Well, it was when I moved to London that okay. the the story started forming in my head. Um, yeah, I. I, I was a bit shell-shocked, to be honest. Obviously, I'd come up to London for the day, but um, living in London was uh, was a different experience. And all of a sudden, you just sort of realise, um, even though Dorset's only about like two hours away on the train, um, just how different things are living, you know, in a close collection of people, different cultures, um, you know, different things like that. And and I loved it and it excited me and meeting new people. And the idea of the film sort of came from that experience of me as kind of an outsider yeah. in the inner city. Um, you know, I look back to how I was then and it's almost a bit embarrassing, you know. I was I was so green. I remember getting on, you know, the the underground thinking, you know, this this is kind of a a new experience. Um <laughs> which now is ridiculous because I'm on the underground pretty much every day. And yeah, I just used to see the same people all the time when I was commuting. Um, I didn't know who they were, Um, but, you know, we'd all sit on the same carriage and, you know, sitting there waiting to arrive at a station, you know, your, your creative brain starts putting together ideas for films. What happens if we were all sat together and we were all connected in ways which, you know, no one sort of knew about and uh i think that's where it sort of or and originally it was set around um white light was about um, commuting hmm. these people on a train in the the idea developed into an area instead housing estate and and i think that was really sort of the the, the birth and the seeds of 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 the idea and where it came from okay well, well two, two two of the two of the finished works that then have been helping to to uh bring this together are uh, Driftwood and Soror. Um And Driftwood, uh, in terms of names, has got uh, one of my favourites, Neil Maskell, in it. And there's a whole host of names in Soror. So I just wondered, um, can you can you describe the um, the casting process from your point of view, the the sort of the difficulty of seeing lots of people, the, the knowing you've got the right person, then how do you convince them to do it and things like that? Yeah, well... Casting, I mean, it goes without saying that casting is a, a hugely important part of the process because obviously you want the right person for the right role. Yeah. But um, we we took quite a different approach um, on on Soror definitely than we did on Driftwood. Okay. With Driftwood, um, so with Neil Maskell, um, the part was written with him in mind and it was just a case of going to his agent and seeing if he wanted to do it. And okay. um Luckily, he did. He liked it and, and came on board. Um, the other actors... We, when, can I just say, when you say wrote with him in mind, you thought, I'd like Neil in it, or you'd met Neil before and said, look, I'm doing this thing, and he said, yeah, let me see it when it's done, kind of thing. And no, I, I didn't know Neil um, before uh, before the film started. Right. Um, I'd been at... Um, I'm a huge horror fan, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm a regular at uh, Fright Fest, we should, we should say hello when, we, when we're there next time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. um, and 
I think around the time that I was sort of finishing the script to Driftwood, yeah. uh, I went along and saw Kill List, yeah. um, which I loved. I know it's a bit of a Marmite movie that people, you know, a lot of people love it, a lot of people hate it, but for me, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And, and Andy, um, Andy Stark, the producer, has been on here, and he, he refers to the uh, the negative half of the reaction as the third act deniers. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... um. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, quite a polarizing film, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, it does sort of split people down the middle. But um, you're in good company here, then. I'm 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 in I'm in the pro kill list camp. Yeah, wicked. My <laughs> I, I showed it to my wife, and she she didn't enjoy it at all. So that caused some that caused a few marital problems. But, <laughs> uh, for some reason, I chose to show it to her on Christmas Day, which maybe wasn't the best move. <laughs> But, uh, At least yeah. it wasn't a first date movie. No, no, uh, no. That would be uh, that would be interesting. Sorry, but, go on. You were saying you were saying. So you see, Kill List at Fright Fest. Yeah, I saw Kill List at Fright Fest, and I thought um, I knew Neil from uh, Football Factory, and I'd seen mm. him in a couple of other films. But um, you know, honestly, when I was sort of coming up with the film, his name didn't jump out for the for the role until I saw Kill List, and yeah. I thought. Wow, you know that that sort of intensity and, um, but also realism and fragility mm. that he brought to the role as well of of quite a uncompromising character, but has this sort of human side. Yeah, I um, I was something that I really really wanted for for his character for this character in Driftwood and. As soon as I saw that, there was no doubt in my mind um, that uh, that he was right for the role, and I sort of went back and tailored it a little bit, and um, yeah, um, and and made the approach, and uh, yeah, it was it was good that we yeah yeah no that's 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 a hell of a result, and it's and it's it's a good story to tell, you know, for for people looking to make films that you know it's it's a kind it is it is a, it is often as simple as you don't ask you don't get and yeah if the, if the worst you're going to get is no then it's no different than not well, submitting it <laughs> a, lo- a lot of people have sort of got in touch and said oh how did you get Neil or how did you get like Kate Dickey on Soror and yeah. and I always just feel so silly when I respond I said well I just asked them yeah because that's as simple as it is I mean um I think a lot of people sometimes shy away from that because they just feel it's Oh, well, they're in big feature films, you know. Uh, Kate was in Prometheus, course, you know, yeah. instance. Why Why would she want to do a short film? But that's not the case. I think actors are, are sort of drawn, if, if they like a story um, and they have the time, you know, and they want to challenge themselves, mm. um, why not? You know, why not make the approach? And why, you know, why shouldn't they do it? Um, so I think uh, it's, it's uh, yeah. You, so in you, that sense, are you casting in terms of, Asking to see who who will do it because there's people you'd like, or are you casting in terms of throwing your net out and getting people to audition? Is it um, two? With 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 someone like Neil, there was no audition of because um, I, I was so confident of his ability. It mm. was obvious he was going to nail it. Yeah. Um, what we do is we do a rehearsal process though, um, and really get into it so we make sure that everyone's on the right page and we did that quite extensively with with Neil and um Sam Gittins as well who plays his son in Driftwood who is a a phenomenal talent um we were very lucky to have him on the film um he was on TV last night in the Sky One drama The Smoke where he plays um plays the villain in it and he's he's going places yeah, but okay. Driftwood was his first real sort of IMDb credit I, I on 
on this film, um, I believe. So um, basically we we got them in a room and we worked on the characters and Neil is quite, um, as you would imagine, quite quite an intense fella, um, which is brilliant. You know, you want someone who takes on the character completely and um, me, me and him, we would have phone conversations about family history and going back 10 years and you know there's a mother in this story you you don't see you know she's she's sadly passed away before the you know the narrative of the film begins but we had to flesh out what his relationship was like there you know and and that what job did he do before he lost his job and and it was really sort of a fascinating process for me it was probably the deepest I've got into a character with an actor um up until that point I was gonna say was you ready was you ready for that level of questioning at that point um yeah I think I was because I think as a writer um it's always in the back of my mind I find it very difficult to write you know, this is when the film takes place from here to here. Um, I can't just do that. There has to be, you know, story before that. And sometimes there has to be a story afterwards. I have to sort of get that straight in my head before I kind of tackle the story that I'm actually telling. Um, and and I had thought of that stuff. But obviously, I want the actors to take on the part themselves. I want them to make the role their own. Mm. So... I do see it as a collaborative process. Often I'll have my idea of what the backstory would be. And then Neil, for instance, came in and, uh, you know, he thought very strongly, he'd done some research on, um, you know, council contracts being cancelled. And, uh, you know, he was a gas fitter who'd lost his job. And, uh, I mean, I mean that makes it sound quite boring, but actually I found it quite quite exciting talking about all of these um no, no, having watched it, it's, it's it's fascinating to think that level of detail was was even discussed, never mind suggested. Because um, there's a few things that are hinted in the film yeah. um, that, that we did sort of have backstory for, but it's it's very subtle and, and it needed to be subtle. Um, I think working with actors sometimes is not just talking to them about the scene, it's talking to them about a character. Yeah, and yeah, often yeah. that character has a history, so for them to understand the character, they have to understand the history as well. And that's so important. Um, and and that's that's how we approached Driftwood, and we really took it to the next level for, for Soror as well, where we took that approach all round. Yeah, um, yeah but... Um, well, can you can you tell? I mean, you, you've alluded to it a little bit with, with what you're saying there, but can you talk a little bit about your writing process? You know, sort of um, in terms of your own preparation prior to these sort of conversations that that mushroom out with the people that you're casting. Um, sort of thinking in terms of your own your own research, outline, and drafting. I mean, you talked about you know your imagination running wild on a tube. I mean, I've, I must admit, I've done it myself. I used to, I used to do uh, I used to look at people and and write character character profiles of them. Not yeah, would be ridiculous, but they and, they, and if they ever Anything saw them, they'd be more through the journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, it's a good way to feed your mind when you're going. But but in terms of when you sit down at your at your laptop or at your whiteboard or with a stack of index cards or whatever it is you go about doing, what 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 are your main building blocks for a script for you when you're writing one? Well, often I think an, an idea or even a script. I think um, being a director and a writer, those two are quite tied for me and I don't really separate them so a lot of the time it can be an image you know um with with Driftwood it was the image of um 
right at the beginning of the film of the main character standing with his tower block kind of looming behind them. Mm. And it was a shot that I wanted to do. And you just start asking yourself questions why he's there and, um, you know, what, what sort of brought him here and where is he going? And, uh, and I, I get my notepad out. I always have to write onto paper first. I can't, um, I find it very difficult to type directly into like final draft. I have to do everything in paper and, uh, yeah, I just, just bullet points and write ideas. And then somewhere along the line, all of a sudden, you know, and there's so many abortive films that I've, that I've, you know, tried to do this way. But after a while, one of those ideas sticks and then I formulate, you know, a beginning and an end. I always sort of tackle those two. If this is the beginning, how would I end it? And then sort of work out the steps leading up to that and building it. Um, With, with Soror, the writing process was a hundred percent different okay. and it was a little bit different and, and a bit nerve wracking. I think for me, suddenly sending the script down, it's, it's the first script I, I wrote on cue cards. Um, I didn't actually bullet point. I didn't type it up into final draft. I wrote it all, all of the scenes out that I wanted to do about these characters. Um, Cause I'd had them in my head for so long. I, I knew you know, what their motivations were and the kind of people they were. Yeah. Um, I just did every scene on a cue card and just spread it out on my desk and then worked out which sort of how I wanted to tell the story because it's a non-linear story, um, how to dramatically show these scenes so it would be the most interesting way possible. Um and then after that, I actually typed the script from that because obviously you can't, uh, there was a producer I wanted to work with. I didn't want to send her a bunch of cue cards. <laughs> She'd probably think I was insane. That'd be uh, a bit like a band supplying someone with a C90 cassette these days, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, so I wrote the script there, but I was adamant that I didn't want to do put any dialogue in there, that I wanted it to be, um, you know, improvised. And, and then when we went into casting and, and um, we never auditioned, anyone for the film um i wrote it with people in mind even down to the smallest parts um people who just say one line were actors that you know i'd worked with before i wanted to work with um the four main characters three of them were it was written for them um so i was really lucky i had no contact with them before that um that they came on board and said yes uh and then we did much like the process with with neil maskell they came in um they we talked about the scenes and their characters and the history and i let them do a lot of the development themselves because it was important they Luckily, all of them could relate to their characters. Um, I'm not saying that they'd gone through similar things in their own life necessarily, but they'd yeah. seen, they'd known people who had, so they could they could sort of relate to the the issues that were going on in the film. And then during the rehearsal process, I was adamant that I did not want them to rehearse scenes, because once you rehearse a scene, they start saying the dialogue that they think their character would say in that scene. Mm. Then it might as well be scripted. They know what they're going to say. Which is a bit scary. I mean, it's, I mean, that's why casting was so important that we got the right people because, you know, that level of trust, they had to put a lot of trust in me and I had to put a lot of trust in them as well. But, so, so you're um, saying there's no, you didn't rehearse anything, you shot with improvised lines? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Um, 
obviously we talked each scene, so they you can tie one and behind your back as well. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a bit of it's quite a scary way going in. I was a little nervous because I've never worked that way. Because um, on Driftwood, I was um, I think pre-production is probably one of the most underrated parts of um, the filming process. Yeah. Um, and I love pre-production. I shop plan. I storyboard. I <laughs> sometimes you know do prep that's almost to the point of being you know ridiculously prepared and yeah. um, with this i prepared as much as i could and then i just left it um i wanted the process to be as organic as possible so if i start imposing too much you ruin that in a way you know so it was my intent very much to um to keep it as free as possible i was a bit nervous going in but then literally as soon as we started filming I was sort of in love. I was, I was like, why have I never worked this way before? Um, it's a really exciting way of making a film. It's very, um, al it's very alchemic, isn't it? <laughs> and it, it comes down to having the right people who understand, you know, what I'm going for, what, who the character is completely, and, um, and, and loving the material. Um, so the only downside is because Soror, it, it isn't finished yet, it's still in post-production, yeah. but obviously makes the edits, um, gives you numerous possibilities in the edit. So I'm sort of painstakingly going through all the improv material and and uh, studio stylistic shots and working out what's the best way of, of, of showing the film. It's almost like directing it again in many ways. I was going to say, so you've written it once, you've shot it on a twice and now you're editing it for a third you literally you know in the, in the old kind of the old adage that you write a film you shoot a film and then you edit a film yeah you sort of make it three times you you literally are aren't you i suppose if you yeah very much um <clears throat> it's a really uh different creative process than i'm used to but i'm but i am enjoying it it's uh yeah i'm gonna uh i would love to to work this way again obviously you know there are a few risks um, with with working this kind of way, but um, on Soror it, it worked out perfectly. And so, does, are you are you going to try? You are you going to do this with white light, or are you going to be more structured with that? Because obviously, a feature film equals well, more budget, I, more people. So, would you be able to take such a risk? Do you think? I'm not too sure. I mean, it comes down to. I mean, short films. You have a lot, a lot of freedom. Um, we crowdfunded this short film, so really when we achieved our amount, you almost have create complete creative freedom. You're not getting money from some sort of funding board who expect you to do certain things. You, you have complete freedom. With a feature film, you know, as a first-time director, it, you know, it might not necessarily be an option. I'd love to do it that way. Um, I think... It will be a combination of both, scripted and improv. Um, the nature of the film really demands that it's as realistic and and as real as possible, and um, you can't get any realer than, you know, improv. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 something I would love to do. Okay, well, look, di digressing slightly, then, um, can you tell us about your involvement on the the on Halloween Kid that was screened at Fright Fest that you mentioned to me? Yeah, well, um, the Halloween Kid came about because I'd worked with uh, the writer and director of the film, Axel Carolyn, um, a couple of times. She'd she'd acted in a short film that I'd produced, and. Um, 
yeah, we just stayed in contact and uh yeah, we I worked on her her first short film she did called The Last Post, um in, in a smaller capacity because I'd been shooting around Europe and she was sort of filming the next day. So I just sort of came along and was kind of like a second assistant and uh or a runner. And um and then she brought the script of the Halloween kid along to me and uh, asked if I'd be interested in producing, which is something um, that that I do enjoy doing. Um, I'm primarily a writer-director, but, you know, I, I do enjoy kind of the challenges of producing as well because they're such a different set of challenges yeah. um, than what I'm used to. And I think it also gives you a broader look of the filmmaking process to sort of experience a few other job roles. Um, so I sort of jumped at the opportunity and we uh, we put together a really good team. Um, her husband is Neil Marshall, who awesome. directed The Descent and Dog Soldiers, um, obviously films, especially The Descent, I'm, I'm a huge fan of. So... Um, and yeah, we we produced the film together along with um, uh, another guy called Ben Robinson, who's also an incredibly talented filmmaker who you should probably speak to as well. Yeah, yeah uh, well, really good films. And um, yeah, it was just uh, you know just wanted to make kind of a, a fun, spooky love letter to Halloween. And uh, yeah, we had a good DP, Sam McCurdy, who shot most of, of Neil's, Neil's work. Um, and uh, a great cast as well, including Anna Walton, um, who's, who's terrific. And uh, yeah, just, it was, it was a good experience for me because it was the biggest thing I'd sort of done up until that point. It was just before, um, I set off to make Driftwood. So okay. the experience of that is reflected in Driftwood where I sort of, before that I was working on budgets of like 300, 400 pounds. Yeah. And I sort of had enough of those limitations. So sort of seeing how things could be done on a budget, um, like a, a good budget, um, really made me want to bring that into my own work. And um, yeah, Axel was a, an associate producer as well on, on Driftwood. So it was, it was great to have, um, you know, her, her support and, and Neil helped us out on a few things as well, which which was great. But um, yeah, it was can, a good experience. I mean, great to see a five interesting, interesting well. point you make there because it's, it's as, as as a filmmaker and as you as you you know you're, you're growing in experience how how useful is it to have those people who are kind of further up the further up the chain as it were to to call on with questions and maybe just for support in terms of your own experience today i think it can be uh tremendously helpful um i mean I would describe myself, though, as sort of self-taught. I've never really, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not really something that, that I've ever, I, I, I don't sort of call up someone and say, you know, I've got a bit of an issue here, you know, what, what do you think? How can I solve this problem? I've always sort of just tried to work things out for myself, which I think is really, I think, important as a filmmaker, and it helps you to... Um, to really sort of grow and, uh, and and gain experience and make mistakes. Making mistakes um, is probably one of the most important things, um, which which sounds ridiculous. Um, but as long as you learn from those mistakes, um, 
I, I think that's that's such an important part of the filmmaking process as an up and coming filmmaker. Yeah. Um, luckily, I'm, I think I'm at the point now where I've made, you know, sort of enough mistakes that they don't they haven't crept into Driftwood or Soror. <laughs> great. Um, yeah. So, would, would it be would it be okay? Would you be able to give us an example of of a, of what you would class as a mistake or a challenge or a challenge you had to overcome that that you learned from and didn't repeat the mistake in Driftwood and and Soror? Well. I mean, there's 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 tons of things I think, um, and some people may disagree with me. Um, people <laughs> may say that's still evident in Driftwood, but um, you know, there's always a tendency to to overshoot, um, to shoot more than you need, um, to um, you know, overwrite dialogue and and scenes that way um and, and i think everyone's sort of guilty of that when they start out and you you know i look at films i made short films i made 10 years ago and think you know wow that's um that's terrible but um but i appreciate that it's it's all a learning process and i'm learning every day okay. um but you can see that in driftwood where i was i kind of wanted to downplay it i wanted to there to be loads of dialogue, but it's never spoken. It's done through looks or, you know, body language or the way the camera moves. Um, I think that's um, uh, an interesting and also in many ways quite a challenging way to to to, to tell a story. But um, I think it was sort of a style that I've sort of found and um, I really enjoy. And I guess, and I guess when you, you, you're dealing with with actors like Neil Maskell and the, and the like, then you're you're constantly learning from them as they bring their experience to a project, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I think every actor always has their own approach, mm. um, and definitely working with Neil was was a learning experience, um, a very positive one for me. Mm. Um, and on Soror, it's been an incredible learning experience because we've had scenes where you have. Phenomenal actors, you know, like Kate Dickey, Sean Brecken, who was in Tyrannosaur, and of course the phenomenally talented Rosie Day from the Seasoning House, in a scene together doing improv, um, each with their own approach. Yeah, you know, some are more method than others, and you know, you find a way between you know the four of us to 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 get the scene to where we need it to be, and it's um. It was a fantastic learning experience. Luckily, they're all, you know, really um, giving actors, um, you know, who want to listen to other people's ideas. They, they don't say, well, this is the way I want to do it and I don't think it should be done any other way. Mm. Um, but alternatively, they question. And this is something that I really liked about working with Neil was um, we talk about, you know, the next shot we were going to film or, or a scene and... He would say, but would I do this? And actually, as as a director, you you want that. You don't want someone to just do something and not, um, you know, that, that questioning process is such an important part of, of filmmaking. Um, and, and then I would justify why this would be the case. And when I'd explained it, he'd go, 
okay, yeah, I see, you know, where you're coming from and, yeah, let's do that. And that was great to to have that sort of dialogue because then his performance is better because he knows, you know, why it's being done this way. Because obviously with Driftwood, because it's non-linear, yeah. we shot the entire scene with Neil like it was one scene. But actually it's cut up in the edit yeah. and there were certain shots we had to end on at certain points so it would flow into, you know... Sam Gittins walking along the edge of the pool or being chased by, you know, a gang of youths. And um, and obviously you don't want to trouble the actor with that stuff. You don't want to say, well, you, you have to walk over here and stand here and look over there because then we're going to cut to this shot in the next scene because it externalises their performance. They start thinking about the visuals more than the action, more than the acting, which is so important. Um, so that getting the balance right there was was a challenge but you know we got it and um yeah it was it was a good experience working with him no 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 yeah and you, you can so so in that sense then is this the screenplay is quite linear and the editing made it non-linear or was the screenplay as non-linear as the editing gave it it was the screenplay of driftwood was a hundred percent non-linear okay. it's exactly the film that you see on the screen in fact the other day i was clearing out my office and i came across the storyboards yeah. that we'd drawn of the film and um it's basically a flick book for the finished thing you can you can turn it in every single shot and it's all in there which mm. kind of shocked me a little bit especially with the way that we've been working on Saror, which is completely different um but, but, when, um, but when you're directing those the scenes themselves and you say you do them as a whole you're having to sort of bring together <laughs> the, the bits of the script that make up that whole as it were yeah so oh, okay we we would literally just take the script remove the elements that weren't that scene and put it together and shoot it that way because it's very time consuming obviously to do the the amount of setups to to keep stopping and starting and it takes the actors out of because obviously Neil is in particular is so intense in that scene of course, um yeah. you want to maintain that level of uh, of continuity of his acting to stop and start it wouldn't have been the right way to approach it um yeah and through working you know with my cinematographer um a very very talented guy called Adam Etherington who shot the seasoning house actually okay um and he just finished that when he came on to driftwood and um we decided that would be the best the best way to to shoot it with like long extended takes where you know the camera will kind of move around and find these different points around their performance um and it was quite sort of complicated working out the timings and uh but um you know with a good amount once again a good amount of pre-production and meeting and storyboards and um we we established that and from, from a practical point of view because you've got quite certainly in driftwood you've got um you've got quite a technical bit to do haven't you with the chase scene around the estate i mean where, where was where was that and, and how did you get about how would you go about getting permission for for that kind of shooting well, I think the permission was quite easy, actually. Um, we shot it in in Wood Green. Um, in fact, like... Which is, what's that, North London? 
That's, uh, yeah, North London, I think Topnam area. Yeah, uh, right, it's yeah, not yeah. far from there. Um, it's a very London film, Driftwood. We shot Neil's scenes in Twickenham. We shot the uh, the pool scenes in Loughton, which actually is Essex, but it's sort of, it's like fake London. Down the road uh, from um, me. I'm, 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 I'm so, just clinging to London in Leighton. Yes, and um, and then we went north with um, with the with the estate scene. So we were all over the place, um, but um, the estate had real character. And I, I I went around all these different estates, um, all around London. Um, and when I came across that one, I knew it was it was perfect. Um, we just went to the local council, asked um, if we could film it. Here's the script. I expected them to say no because it's effectively an attempted mugging, um, which, you know, if you're shooting without closing down a lot of areas, you know, can be, you know, it can be troublesome. It can cause issues. Um, but no, they were fine with it. We told the police they were fine with it. Um, I think we, we paid a bit of money to hire um, a couple of spaces for our trucks and uh, hired a local hall as a you know as a green room and uh, and it was actually nothing at all we thought it was going to be probably one of the tougher things to to get in the film but no it was really easy no, um, and congratulations and was, on it it looks it looks really effective the, the certainly the, the, the mix of the scenes when you got the, the gang approaching and then the, the sort of uh, the little chase I won't give I won't spoil the chase as it were but yeah it's really good yeah it's um the, the environment in in Driftwood was always meant to be kind of like the the unspoken character, mm. you know the the environment of the pool and the the bedroom and we tried to give them each like a very subtle look of their own, mm. um, you know through the use of color, but also just the way that we shot it, you know the the environment sort of says something about um, about the characters that that you show in that environment. Sorora is exactly the same, and white light is is you know it's set around a community, so you know it's it is a huge part of my work, and I think it's uh, it's an interesting way of sort of approaching drama. Now, Driftwood, you've uh, you've you've screened all over, and along the way, you've picked up a. Couple of awards and and uh, prestige nominations. You want to talk about those that you've got so far? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we made the film with a view for for getting it on festivals, um, you know, and finding an audience. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we picked up some really good screenings along the way. Our first real screening was London uh, Short Film Festival, which is which is great. We were invited to be screened there as well, which was um, which was really fantastic and uh i think we had about god about 50 60 screenings in all um around the world internationally um yeah and it picked up a couple of awards along the way um which is which is nice i mean obviously it'd be ridiculous for, for me to say you know it's not great receiving awards i wouldn't say it was completely my intention um, I just wanted to get solid festival screenings and people to enjoy the film. Mm. But um, we we were in uh, Cairns Short Film Corner, which, to be honest, it sounds fantastic, but it's not really as good as it sounds. I mean, I get the feeling they'll let anything in. but um, not, any, not anymore, you'd be surprised to learn. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know there's like 3,000 films in that database, but, yeah, they're getting more selective. Or, there, or I'm guessing they may be sort of quotas, you know, in terms of countries from around the world? Possibly, possibly. I mean, 
that was my first experience of Cannes. And I've always been tried to um, have a good knowledge of festivals and uh, good places to submit to. But Cannes was one festival I was, I just found it really complicated. And um, I actually went um, to the last festival, which was my first time. And um, that was great because going there with a short film is brilliant. There was no pressure. I wasn't there to sell myself. I was there to soak up the atmosphere to, um, you know, so when I would go back with something that I wanted to sort of promote or sell or try and get some traction on, I would sort of know where to go and the layout of, of Cannes because it was quite intimidating. Um, for, it's, a hell, it's a hell of an experience, isn't it, to, uh, to, yeah, to go to the festival? It, it, was, it was bizarre because um, when I was there, I'd be, you know, you go and get your your... ID from the desk and uh, welcome back and I was flicking through the uh, the pack of where it has all the short films and I noticed there was a big red thing saying Coupe de Coeur above Driftwood which none of the other films had and I was like what does this mean <laughs> um yeah and it's like uh basically their their picks of the of the short films um there were three British shorts that were chosen uh, mine being one of them um yeah, and they, they neglected to tell me. So that was kind of a nice surprise. Uh, um, and then I started thinking, well, maybe I should, should be sort of selling myself a bit more if I've, if I've, uh, <laughs> if, if we've got a, this coupe de car, which I didn't know existed until like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so I got out my phone and to Google where um, I always wanted to get distribution with a company called Shorts International who distribute short films on, on iTunes. And that was something that, during the scripting phase, I was like, yeah, I'd love to sort of get, get something with them going. And uh, I saw that I had missed call on my phone and uh, listened to the voicemail with Shorts International congratulating me on the, on the coup de coeur and saying, you know, would you like to uh, talk distribution? So that was really strange because I was literally Googling to find out where they were so I could go and have a chat with them um, and that's a true story so it kind of takes the pressure it, off doesn't it yeah <laughs> I couldn't believe it actually it was like the odds of that and, and at that exact moment but um, I feel, I feel like I feel like the story is if if you build it they will come <laughs> I, I firmly believe um, if you make a film that people enjoy it sells itself yeah you get one good festival screening other festivals will want to screen your film mm. I mean not every festival will screen your film. I mean, we've had plenty of rejections, but we've had more, you know, festivals wanting to show the film than rejecting it, which is obviously nice. <laughs> so, so, you, so that means you, you, people can go on iTunes and and per, can they purchase or rent the film on um, iTunes, Driftwood? I don't think it's a rental. I think it's a purchase. Okay. Um, and and I'm not just saying that to make people purchase. Of it. course, yeah, no, no, no. I, I must admit, I've never bought a short on iTunes. I've only ever bought features. So, well, here you go. Here is your opportunity to to purchase a fully HD, lovely uh, copy of Driftwood for one ninety nine. And is is that the route that Soror will go as well? Is that is that already? I don't know. We'll see. I mean. Okay. Um, I don't know. I've kind of done that with Driftwood and it's not necessarily the same route I would like to go again. Mm. Um, we'll see. Um, it depends really on, on how Driftwood does on, um, on, on, on distribution, really. I mean, if it doesn't do too much, then what's the point? Um, at the of end course. of the day, it was never about money. Um, no, it no, was no. Always it's just about... more, more about making it available because obviously there's, there's 
and making shorts available is either give it away or, it, or people get to see it at, f- at festivals. So yeah, I mean, I, that, I, that there is actually real channels like iTunes you can. I guess out. it's just I'm as much as I hate saying it. I guess it's just about making yourself more bankable, you know, mm. um, like a distribution deal. It, I guess it sort of helps in All some third way. Third-party endorsement of any filmmaker is going to help other third parties be convinced to work with you. I mean, I don't. I think that's a positive thing. I, yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think it's a huge thing. I don't think DreamWorks are going to get on the phone and start of throwing course. money at me because my short film's being distributed. But Maybe you should start. No, it just helps, people. doesn't it? At the end of the day, uh, James. I think there's a film idea of googling people, and as you Google them, they phone you up. <laughs> really? <laughs> so what you're saying there oh, before with your shorts international. Um, yeah. What's What's next then? With um, so Soror's in um, post production now. It is. Yeah. And have you got a deadline to finish by? Well, I did have a deadline. Okay, <laughs> I'm very quick on uh, with my post-production on Driftwood. The edit was complete less than a week after the shoot, Yeah, which is, I've been told, quite unusual because we shot the film and this is the way it always had to be edited. It was just a case of finding the right take and putting it in place. Mm. Um, Soror's different. Um, and I kind of get asked mostly by the actors and crew on a daily basis, when do you think it's going to be ready? And I say, it'll be ready when it's, when it's ready. <laughs> um, you know, I, I work quite quick. However, I, I understand, you know, when a film needs, needs time. And I think this might be the first edit I'll run by another editor as well, because uh, I'm cutting it myself. Oh, okay, okay. So I might bring someone else who was not involved in the process to cast uh, an eye over it to to you know from from a from someone's perspective who never read the script wasn't on set does the narrative work because at the end of the day I can have as many nice you know lens flare shots and slow motion and studio scenes that's great it's the narrative that makes the film and that's kind of the focus and I think you know it's important to have someone who's detached from that to come in and say, actually that works, or maybe you need to expand on this character that you don't establish this. You know, I'm I'm working on it at the moment. I've got a couple of meetings coming up about the film. I've got a few people attached to the project as well, um, which is which is great at this point. A couple of actors have sort of expressed an interest. Um but yeah, it's it's looking really good. Um, we'll see how it goes over the next few months. But um, yeah, it's it's coming together nicely. Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, I hope that um, that we can uh, have you back on with uh, with tales of this when it's when it's more concrete as to where it's going. Definitely. Cool. Well, look, the final question for you is, uh, and we talked about this off off microphone at the beginning, so I won't I won't I won't define you to a genre. So, uh, what British movie? That that you feel is underrated deserves more kudos. I mean, there's there's so many British films which I think um, uh, are small little gems, you know, that that deserve deserve a, a wider audience or okay. you know a, a bigger global audience. Give us a, um, a, a, a <laughs> film that, um, in particular for me, um, that I love is is the British drama Red Road, and I know. It's it's well regarded and it did win an award at Cannes, but um, certainly working with Kate Dickey on Soror, who's in Red Road, because that made me want to cast her in the film. Um, the amount of people I speak to have never heard of it, 
and um me i've sort of me included i'm afraid yeah yeah i mean it's um it's on love film i think if if you have a subscription so you I can do, yeah. see it on there but it's it's just a really well-made um british drama um and it's just the performances are just incredible. I, I think it's literally one of the best British films ever made. And I don't say that lightly, but um, I'm always sort of championing it. You know, I'm always trying to get people to to see it. And uh, the director, Andrew Arnold, who, who I love her work, she made the film uh, Fish Tank, Fish which Tank, yeah. people are more familiar with. Um, and, and I actually saw Fish Tank before I saw Red Road, which sort of led me to that film. But um, yeah, I think Red Road deserves just as much uh, attention. It's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. It's not the easiest film to watch, mm. um, but uh, I think it's a, it's a great example of British filmmaking. That's the can I just that's the second podcast in 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 a week where Andrew Arnold is featured <laughs> for very right. different reasons, but but certainly the second one. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. Who was who was your other? Uh, Harry McQueen was. Um, was on last week talking about his film Hinterland. Yes, um, I know Harry. Yeah, it's going, and that goes out. That'll be going out today. All right. As I'm talking, um, and uh, he he was in a he was in a flat share next door to her, and it was her that convinced him to go make Hinterland. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I had no idea he knew uh, he knew her. Uh, well, he, I think he, it was it was the circumstance of just happened to be neighbours. It wasn't it wasn't that he was there forever. He was I think he was I think he was sofa surfing. Oh, right, sort of literally putting the bin out. Knew who she was, I think, and then uh, it was it got got talking about making film, and then it was uh, well, you should do it, and that was kind of his kind of right. I will. I think I need to get some new next door neighbours. <laughs> Me too. That's what I thought. <laughs> Why can't I live next to uh, you know an award winning director? <laughs> the ch- the chances are slim. London's got a lot of people in it, and there's plenty of them here. But yeah, the chances of being it being your neighbour are slim. Yeah, especially in Isleworth, you know, where where I live. Um, yeah, I think uh, the chances are very slim. Indeed. Actually, well, if anyone's listening to this, any other directors in Isleworth, I I apologise. I just wasn't aware. <laughs> well, no, maybe maybe you should put a shout out. Yeah. International yes. Rescue <laughs> directors in Isleworth. Well, look, so look, thank you very much for uh, for coming on the podcast. It will go out in a couple of weeks. Perfect. No, thank right. you for. For allowing me to, uh, to to talk to you. No, no pleasure, pleasure. It's the Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.